Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Master Books podcast. Today, Todd Friel joins the podcast to talk about the parent's role in your child's salvation. So this is excellent. It's a replay of our 2022 The Smarter Way to Homeschool Summit. I'm excited for you to hear it if you haven't heard it before. If you have, you're going to want to listen again because there's so much truth in here that we need to refresh ourselves with. So let's get started. Welcome to the Master Books Podcast, where we bring you conversations that will strengthen your biblical worldview and the faith of your family. I'm Jennifer White, publicist at Master Books, a division of New Leaf Publishing Group. As host of this show, I'll be opening the doors to the Master Books family library of books, authors, and curriculum. For over 45 years, our company has been about one thing ink on paper to touch eternity. In a world increasingly at war with God, we are publishing to partner with you to disciple your family, the church, and the nations. Well, hello and welcome everyone to Master Books Summit, The Smarter Way to Homeschool. We are so thankful that you've joined us. I am Jennifer White. I'm the publicist here at Master Books, and I am joined by Todd Friel. You probably have heard his name. He is an author of many Master Books curriculum, as well as books and even courses at the Master Books Academy. He also has Wretched Radio and TV and so many other things I can't list them. So welcome, Todd. Thank you for joining us today. It's always a treat to talk to my fellow homeschoolers, although I, I'll just make a confession right up front. Okay. We are not a good homeschool family, and, and here's why. We only have three children. So Clearly, we are not a great homeschool family because I think the minimum or the average is about 17. Am I correct? Yeah. Like, what's wrong? Are you not like into adopting or foster care? We could get you some more kids. What kind of homeschoolers are you? <laughs> we have um, a sweet friend on the Masterbooks team or she was on the Masterbooks team that was only homeschooling one child. And she's like, I don't know what you guys are all talking about, how to multiply how to homeschool multiple children at one time and all the stress. And she's like, I got one kid. Somebody talk to me about one kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I, I find their homeschoolers, there's two camps. One camp is, um, well, they see virtually any activity homeschool credit. So for instance, mom will take the kids to the store and let the kids hand cash to the cashier and say, that's a lesson in economics. On the other hand, you've got homeschool parents like my wife, who she she just ran that thing like nobody's business. She was <laughs> she was military when it came to homeschooling. OK, yeah. she got it done. And here's a here's a deception for most dads. We uh, we like to see ourselves as the principals. But here's the difference between us and a regular principal. A regular principal stays in the school all day. We dads, we skedaddle off to work. We leave the teacher at home with the kids. And then we come home expecting everything to be neat and tidy, perfect, and everybody lined up in descending order to greet you at the door. And that isn't the reality of homeschooling, which is actually precisely what I think the subject matter that we're dealing with today will help people with a lot. Great. Well, I'm so thankful that you're here to talk to us about the role of parents and the salvation of their children. 
we this whole summit is about a smarter way to homeschool. And so we believe that Masterbooks is providing the opportunity for you to have smarter ideas about helping your family grow in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And um, all the research out there talks about what happens when kids go off to college. And I know you are very involved in in helping make sure we know what that could look like. And, and our mission statement is ink on paper to impact eternity. So we are so glad that you wrote the book Reset for Parents. I don't know if any of you guys have read it yet. I have been digging into it, getting ready to talk to Todd today. And I want you to know that from my perspective, I feel like what is happening is that in this book, Todd is simply pulling back the curtain for parents and providing these very simple ideas that you don't even know you need yet. Just really making it simple and practical ways to teach the gospel while you're at home with your kids. So thank you for providing that book, Todd. And so while we're here, I want you to talk a little bit about um, some of the things you talk about in your book is teaching the children to believe as opposed to behave. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that and how that impacts or kind of shifts the way a parent thinks about discipline. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a fascinating phenomenon. Every single parent wants well-behaved kids. And we tend to focus on that pretty intensely. We have a tendency all of us to when they're little we can just kind of fire off the commands and expect obedience to it. That gets a little more challenging the more they become autonomous adults. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest that rather than focusing as much on behavior, I'm not saying throw off the rules and live like a bunch of bohemians, but I am saying the crucial question for homeschool parents is, will my child receive the salvation that is offered in Jesus Christ? Let's be honest, what does it profit a homeschool parent if their child gets accepted into Harvard because their SAT scores were so high, but they die without Jesus Christ. I mean, these things are important. I'm not suggesting they're irrelevant, but I am saying what is of preeminent importance is the salvation of our kids. That's where we need to be focusing. And then here's the twist. When we focus more on leading our people to Jesus, our children to Jesus, mm -hmm. they start to behave better. So you, you, get, you get both blessings. You know, if you, if you don't mind, you were saying that, you know, when kids run off to university, you know, the statistics are the fall away rate, which means they never fell forward in the first place. But the fall away rate is 60 to 80 percent of our kids. I don't know if you've read Ken Ham's book, Already Gone. I'm yes. quite certain you guys published it. We did. And, and I remember when he first introduced it, I was like, wait, what are you? He commissioned a survey because he wanted to see what the kids know in 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 12th grade, etc., before they go to university, and he discovered they're already gone. What we are noticing is that kids, they are not falling away from the faith when they leave the nest. They've already departed long before they head off to university. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it, it's something that demands the homeschool parent really this is this is a radical adjustment. Here, here's what I, I would like to do, if you don't mind. Sure. We're going to do a role play. 
Oh, goodness. You're, you're going to be you, and I'm going to be the 24-year-old Todd, right? Okay. You're going you're gonna to ask me um, questions like, uh, why, why am I getting married to my wife and why I want to have children? Go ahead. Okay. Todd, why are you getting married? Because it would have been the 80s, so I had to put my collar up. <laughs> I love your collar, Todd. <laughs> why, why am I getting Why am I getting married? Because, um, like, I dig her, and huh? she's like super pretty, and we laugh a lot and stuff. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. And so, why do you want to have children? Because uh, it's what you do. Make, right. make together and then you live like father knows best on sitcom tv i was clueless utterly clueless when it came to marriage and parenting if if i asked everyone who's watching right now all right why did you get married what would you say why why did you have children what would you say and there's plenty of good reasons that are that are available to answer that question it's good to want companionship. It's good to have a life mate. It is good. It's a financially good deal. Two people living together, it's more economic. All of those things are fine. But if our primary goal, start with marriage, is not that two sinners saved by Jesus come together to run the race of faith together to get to the celestial city and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, then your priorities are out of whack. Mm -hmm. Our marriages must be about the gospel. Now, I know there, there has been so much gospel-centered talk these days, but what tends to happen is people will say, you know, your marriage needs to be gospel-centered. That's the point of your marriage. It's the gospel. And we all go, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the pastor stops preaching and we go, well, how do you do this? Right. What does this even look like? How do I have a gospel-centered home? How do I raise my kids in a gospel-centered way. Here's, here's how I think you do it. You are persistently, consistently thinking about Jesus Christ dying for sinners. We start by remembering the gospel. We're bad sinners. Jesus is an amazing savior. When you fail to remember the first message of the gospel that I'm a really big, bad, terrible, horrible, awful sinner, here's what happens. My pride swells up. I go onto a perch of superiority. I look down on everybody in my home and I start barking, commanding. I'm agitated. I'm annoyed. Why? Because I've forgotten that I am the chief of sinners. Paul died. The crown is available. I want it on my head, reminding me I'm the chief of sinners that Jesus died for. Now, I don't talk down to my wife and children. Instead, I talk to them at the same level or frankly, even below. There was a psychiatrist. I think he calls himself a, a Christian psychiatrist. I heard him interviewed and he was lamenting that so many parents are told, look, um, don't talk down to your kids. He said, are you kidding me? You need to get on a chair and you need to stare them down and tell them how to behave. And I thought, um, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's gospel-centered parenting. The message of the gospel that tells me I'm a big, bad, terrible sinner who needs Jesus Christ means I shouldn't stand over my kids. I shouldn't even be at eye level. I should be underneath them. 
with the desire to see my fellow sinners know the grace of Jesus Christ. And if I'm thinking in those terms, it alters everything. It changes my dynamic, my interaction. With, let's start with spouses, then we'll do the kids. If okay. you don't. Mm -hmm. All right. So I come home and um, something is off. I expected to be greeted with music and smells of shepherd's pie. <laughs> and all, instead, I walk in and all I hear is a clatter and a clamor and yelling and shouting. And it's I don't get greeted with a kiss. I get greeted with you need to deal with these kids, okay? <laughs> right. Now I have a choice to make. Am I going to think gospel or am I going to think behavioral modification? Am I just gonna try to get them to behave well, which is the premise of our conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking secular parenting, which is behavioral modification. Well, we know what that looks like. I barge in, all right, where are they? And I don't really need to ask because I know that they're in their rooms because that's where they've been sent till your father gets home. And so I then run up the stairs to deal with them. And how am I going to do that? You kids, one more time, if I have to tell you about how you're supposed to treat your mother, you're going to get whatever it is that mm -hmm. I get. Now, I'll get sort of compliance, sort of but I'm not seeing the, the situation in a gospel-centered way. What do I want from my children? Well, first of all, I need to understand what they're doing when they're, when they're disobeying their mother. They're not being naughty children. Okay. The children are no longer naughty. There is not a single child who is naughty anymore. It's much worse than that. They're totally depraved sinners. And they are exhibiting their sin nature by disobeying your spouse. That means your child is in trouble. That means you are on a rescue mission. That means they need to be taken not to your feet, but to the feet of Jesus. So now, if that's what I'm thinking. I'm walking up the stairs and I'm maybe drawing my belt out to mm -hmm. use my weapon of choice against the kids. And I stop and go, wait a second, wait, wait, wait. The goal of my parenting and my exchanges with my children is that they will love Jesus more. Okay, now enter the room of your child. Now go ahead, try to yell at them. Try to scream at them. Try to be agitated at them when you want them to love Jesus more. <laughs> Just, hey, you brats, what? You need to love your Lord more and behave. <laughs> Don't do it again. I mean, that's it's preposterous. Instead, right. you enter in saying, son, daughter, I so get you. I understand you completely because I'm telling you, I was a monster. I, Your father was a little tiny terrorist as a child. I get it. I, I understand why you feel like, oh, mom is just always, I get it. But here's what God says. You're to honor your mother. And when I wasn't doing that, and when you don't do that, we're sinning. So you know what we have here, son, daughter? In this bedroom now, we have two sinners who are in great need of a Savior named Jesus Christ. So I'll tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to administer whatever discipline, and that can be the rod, if you will. It can still be corporal punishment. But it is not to punish them for their sins. Jesus was punished for their sins. This is to express to them, this is the consequence, the sting of sin. 
And I want you to understand that without Jesus, you're going to experience this sting for eternity. So I'm going to administer this, and then we're going to pray together as two sinners. Then why don't you go talk to mom? Okay, going. That's different. Now wait, I'm not done because now I got to go back downstairs. And my wife now is she's just you know furious about the whole affair. Okay. Okay. She's sinning. She's she's not just being agitated. She's sinning. That means my wife. Yes, she needs to be heard. Yes, she needs to be consoled, but she also needs to be dealt with regarding her sinning. And that means I enter into it not agitated because my wife has a short fuse all the time. No, this is the one with whom I am one flesh. Mm -hmm. We are married to reflect Jesus Christ and his gospel. I'm playing the role of Jesus. She's playing the role of the church. Now I want to engage with my spouse like Jesus engaged with sinners to lead them to him, not to my feet, but to his. And so my conversations are going to be radically different. If I see my wife doing something, if I'm thinking gospel, I think, wait a second, what am I seeing here? What is, something's getting up my nose here. What is it? And if I discover it's just a preference, then I scoot back to Genesis 2 and I realize, hey, uh, God knit my wife together that way. That's the way she does. It's not the way I would do it, but it's just a preference. I let it go. Mm -hmm. But if I identify, hey, there's an ongoing sin, you don't want to be jumping on every sin your spouse commits. But if I'm seeing a pattern of sin, it's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, my sweetheart is in trouble here. Um, how can I help in the most powerful way? I want to engage underneath in an effort not even to drive her to Jesus, but to go to Jesus myself and then bid her come. So that I just enter in as a fellow sinner. Sweetheart, I get it. I know why you're so mad with the kids. Believe me, I get mad at them. Too. I, you know, it's, we, it's so far. I can't even imagine what it's like. I'm the principal. I run away every day. You're here in the trenches. Uh, it must be really hard. I'm just thinking, though, do you think that we're being Christ-like in our response when we're yelling at the kids? Would you hold me accountable so that I don't do that? And, I, and I'll, if you are willing, I'll do the same thing for you. And maybe we should pray right now that the Lord would forgive both of us for our agitations that are sinfully motivated. And then we can re-engage with the kids. Okay. That's what gospel-centered parenting and marriage actually looks like. It is not theoretical. It is not merely theological. It is eminently practical, and it will change the way you view your family and what you are trying to accomplish as a spouse and as a parent. I think it's beautiful. And and what I keep thinking about while you're talking about it is the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. Yeah. And that's what you're modeling. That's what you're saying is as the husband, as the spouse, as the father, as even the mother, the kindness, your kindness. And I always think about Jesus with the woman at the well. He didn't go shaking his finger. He went out of his way to engage her and um, be a friend, you know, to, to need something. You don't, you don't come away from that story feeling like Jesus had his thumb on her. Right. For, for us, those who are sinners who need that Savior, 
what I want to be doing as a spouse and as a parent, I just want to be remembering those two messages of the gospel. I'm the worst sinner in the house, and we all need a savior here. And it, those two things will guide you. So, so recognizing how bad and terrible you are, it keeps you humble. Right. The news that Jesus died while you were yet sinning gives you joy and it gives you confidence. It even gives you courage. But you will find those two things balancing themselves out so that we actually engage with our spouse and children the way that Jesus engaged with us. This, this is helpful. If you're finding yourself agitated at your spouse and your kids, because they, you've got a laundry list. Do some sin math. I like to call it sin math. Okay. Sin Let's, math. Sin math. Because uh, I, I can, Jennifer, you do something that is a sin and I can get annoyed at it. Or I can realize, hmm, how many times have I committed the exact same sin against God? Mm -hmm. Oh, boy. I do that a lot. <laughs> How can I possibly be agitated with Jennifer or my wife or my children when they've inflicted a little tiny wound against me when I have been committing high-handed crimes against my God over and over and over and over again? So for instance, you have a husband who isn't very appreciative. I get it. Um, I get it. We, we can all be that way, can't we? And they don't say thank you. They don't appreciate you enough. How can you get over the agitation that is maybe boiling up inside of you? We have to ask ourselves the question, how thankful am I? How grateful am I? Right. You're a husband and you're one of those guys who likes to talk about the day. But you get home and your wife isn't interested. She's too preoccupied. You want to sit down and download everything that you've done that day and she's not there. Okay. What am I going to do with this? Wait a second. Hold it. How often should I be talking to my God? Right. Oh, a lot. So the thing that she does to me, let's just say once a day, I do against him perpetually throughout the day. When mm -hmm. I do sin math, suddenly I can't be mad at somebody for doing far less than what I myself have done. That is so good. Such an encouragement to me to to just bring it back to me. Like, how am I treating the Lord? And then it puts it all in perspective. And the Bible has so much to say about the benefits of humility, the gifts that God gives us when we have true humility and fear of the Lord. It leads to wisdom and riches and honor and long life. So why why wouldn't we want to humble ourselves? Why wouldn't we want to see ourselves as we truly are next to our Savior and then teach that, model that? A number of years ago, I was reading an article by Rick Thomas, and it it just stabbed me in the heart. And it, it, it thankfully, it lingers to this day. He basically was setting up a context that we've all experienced so many times. Here it is. Let's just say your spouse sins against you. Your spouse says something super nasty. You know, you're a lazy bum, just like your father. Okay, that's a sin. Now, the question is, how am I going to respond? And there's a number of ways. I've kind of studied myself. There's a number of ways that we respond when our spouse sins against us. Here's the first way. You immediately retaliate. You hit me. I am going to blast you. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the mattresses. That's 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 an option. 
A second option is you become cold as ice. You just, okay, fine. That's the way it is. And then you just do the big freeze. You chill them out. Here's another option. You are like a Rolodex. You go, hmm, okay, my, my father's a lazy bum and so am I. Okay, got it. Then six months, six years later, you catch your spouse doing something that isn't exactly industrious. <laughs> and right. you whip it out and you throw it back into their face. Here's the fourth way that some of us respond. I can relate to this. Uh, without getting Freudian, I think it has to do with my upbringing. Dad constantly coming and going. So if if my wife does something that really was sinful, now I'm not talking about just, it was just a preference thing. I'm talking about a sin. My immediate tendency is to get out of there. I will go anywhere. I'll go to the garage. I'll, I'll do a chore. I'll run to the store. I'll go play a round of golf. I'll go to the office. I will just get out of there. Okay, what's going on? What am I doing biblically? I want to be thinking gospel here, not behavioral mm -hmm. modification, mm -hmm. not how to create a happy home. No, I want to be thinking gospel. What am I doing? In all four of those responses, the theme is the same. My spouse sins against me, and in return, I am punishing my spouse for her sins. Question, who was punished for your spouse's sins? Jesus. Ah, and that's when I just, oh. So when I feel the need to just, mm, I've got to, I'm going to get back somehow. It's basically murder in the heart. I'm going to get back somehow. I'm punishing my wife for her sins. In other words, I'm making a total hash of the gospel. Mm -hmm. I am using grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. I am not being gospel-centered. So if, if maybe just leaving this one thought ringing in anybody's ears, do sin math. Remember the two messages of the gospel. You're a bad sinner. Jesus is an amazing savior. But discipline yourselves to start seeing everything in that framework, in that context. What do I want ultimately for my kids? I want them to love Jesus. Okay, therefore, I think I should bark at them and yell at them. No, that's not it. I should give them a, a lot of discipline that is just completely capricious and it's random and it's inconsistent. No, that doesn't do the trick. And it maybe it, it will get you some behavioral modification for a season. Right. At what cost, though? I want my kid to love Jesus. That's why we homeschool. You have the chance to minister to your children all day. You have the chance to model Jesus all day. You have the chance to show them the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's what disciplining a child is. It actually shouldn't be disciplining. It should be discipling. We're just perpetually discipling our children. So my kid is, my kid is sinful, not naughty. I engage with them in an understanding, sympathetic way. I I know what it's like to be a sinner because your dad is the chief. We're two sinners. We need Jesus so bad. So let's talk to him and ask him for forgiveness anew for our sins together. And then let's go re-engage with the family. That's 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 just different. And now here's here's the here's the last little key that I might suggest is important. Okay. We can have a tendency to hear this and go, you know what? I think that could work. I, I this this sounds like a good program. Nope, that's not the point. Okay. 
point is that we are seeing our need for Jesus perpetually, mm -hmm. constantly leaning on him, relying on him, casting our cares upon him. We are growing our relationship with Jesus. That spills over then into our relationship. This is not a parenting program. This is the Christian life. This is the Christian walk. This is taking theology off the shelf and applying it to my heart so that I love Jesus Christ more. And then I want my kids and I want my spouse to love Jesus more. In fact, frankly, that's all I want because I know if they are saved and they love the Lord, as long as I'm gonna see them in heaven, whatever life brings, I don't care because the big thing has been settled. Absolutely. That's such wise advice and you just don't hear it that often. I don't know that I've ever heard it so succinctly put and, you know, so, so easy to apply because we're all trying our best to honor the Lord, you right. know, right. but yeah. and to take that into the home, I, I feel like probably a lot of people watching did not get parented this way. No, and so they don't not. have that baseline Right. to then model it, do that at home. And so I really want to recommend your book, Reset for Parents, um, that you can get at masterbooks.com, but also just um, to take this information and pray through it, you know, and ask the Lord for light and use the word as your guide and, and to know that parenting with the gospel in mind as you have taught us today, is a smarter way to homeschool. It's You're not getting lost in the weeds. You're not getting lost in seeing the trees instead of the forest. This gives you that big picture. This is what this is all about. This is why you're making the sacrifices you're making. This is why you're spending so much time with your children instead of allowing them to go somewhere else to be educated. And we, I just personally want to thank everybody for making that choice. I think it is a very bold, brave, honorable thing. And I really admire you for it. And I thank you, Todd, for sharing what you have learned and modeled for us. And we just pray blessings on your ministry. Thank you. Can I can I leave everybody with some homework? Oh, sure. How's about that for a twist? All right. <laughs> Parents, you've got homework. It's your turn. This might this is this is true for every age, but especially teenagers. If, if your home has been less than gospel centered, mm -hmm. are, are certainly well, everybody's is deficient, varying degrees, but we're all deficient. And your the relationship with your teenager, you just feel it drifting away. You just feel it changing and they're disrespecting you. Think gospel, think, think gospel. Here's a chance for you to show your kids that Jesus Christ is real. Here it is. Here's your homework. If you've ever sinned against your kids, repent to them. Yes. Tell them you're sorry for all the ways that you've sinned against them. If you want to go even further, here's one for you. Pass out a tablet to everybody and say, please write down all the ways your dad has sinned against you. And then go through it and say, I'm sorry for this. I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for everything that I've done to fail you and sin against you. Will you please forgive your father? You are showing your kids that Jesus isn't theology. He's Lord and he's real and your dad has been changed by it. You will see your relationship with your teens and your kids change. And we dads have a tendency to think, oh no, 
that's 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 I'm going to lose respect. Mm-hmm. I can promise you the opposite will happen. I agree. And we're, we keep trying to wrap this up, but let me just mm-hmm. I, I, once I came home and I announced to the family that I wanted to go have yogurt, you know, the yogurt stores where you go and do the yeah. thing. Right? I love them. Right. So I come home. Good mood. Who wants to go get some yogurt? My wife says it's almost dinner time. Who wants to go get some yogurt? I get two takers out of three. I get my son and my daughter. They both go, yeah, I want to go. So on their way to me, my son decides, you know what? I'd rather go alone with dad. And I know how to accomplish that. Oh, I'm going to say something to my sister that's going to agitate her so much. She won't want to go. And he did. And so she announced to me, I'm not going with him. Right. So here's what you got. You've got, you've got a son who doesn't want the daughter to go with. And then the father being the gospel centered parent. I am. I said, that's fine. I'm not going with anyone. Wow. Talk about missing the mark. And I watched my daughter get crushed. I was so oblivious, so selfish, and so pride. You ruined my plan. And I have to confess to you, it took a little bit, some minutes for the Lord to calm me down. And I remember going to my daughter and kneeling and saying, sweetheart, I am so sorry. Your dad was such a jerk. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? Lose authority lose honor. She wraps her arms around my neck. I love you, daddy. That is the power of a gospel centered home. I love it. Well, I I'm sure that all of the people listening right now can recount some things that have happened in their past where they wish that had been the response that they got from their own parents or whomever raised them. You know, and, and let me, if I, if I could, Jennifer, this, this is actually, this, we're being like the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter two, he said, finally, brethren. Then he goes on for two chapters. You and I have been talking <laughs> this for 15 minutes. So at least we have biblical precedent. Good. You, you said, you know, how, how can a parent live to get their kids saved? Well, let's be theological about this. The answer is you can't do anything to get your kids saved. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything. Salvation is of the Lord. It is the Lord who makes dead sinners born again. So take yourself off the hook, mom and dad. You might have a 20-year-old, 22-year-old. They turn their back on you, everything you've taught them. It's not your fault. You can't get your kid saved. You can't get your kid lost. So be relieved of that responsibility. Your job now is repent to your kids for your failures and then live like Jesus going forward and simply be faithful and leave the results to the Lord. That is beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for your time today. (laughs) We are done. Chapter four, Philippians. (laughs) Chapter four of (laughs) three. That's right. (laughs) Thank you so much for this. And we, we really hope that this was helpful. I know it was helpful to me. I can't imagine that anybody would walk away from this time together and not have something to new to apply to their family life. Thank you so much, Todd. We appreciate it. I've got to go yell at my kids now. 
Okay. <laughs> bye. Thanks y'all. We'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for joining the Master Books podcast. This was fun and we are really glad you were with us. We invite you to check out masterbooks.com. We have a big library of books that will feed the faith of your family. And hey, subscribe to our channel so you won't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.